The podcast producer's receptions are noted in society for their host's exquisite tastes that captivates his guests. Moshonka. Preferiria camera el lago de España en mis labios. The Peggy Mount Calamity Hour, an oral sensation, profane, drunken, uncalled for. Monsieur, with this podcast, you are really spoiling us. Oh, well, our, um... No, apologies. Uh, the party. You are really spoiling the party. Pardon? It is, uh, how you say, shithouse? The Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. A sign of questionable taste. This week on the Mountain Pancast. The mullet work in this program... It's outstanding. ...is fucking superb. Five Star go in the house, and that's the last we see of them. Yes. <laughs> they, they'll join us as, as, as an audience, but yeah. we don't interact with them at all. Yeah, amazing. The one good thing to come out of that interview where he's plugging Kelly's eye mm-hmm. is the fact that he announces he went to Sue Pollard's blessing. Get in. Go on, Matthew. I mean, this is what we're here for on a Saturday morning. This is what you're here All right. Hello and welcome to the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr. Velvet. I am the Blackout. And as per, we're here to talk about some 1980s televisual content. Yes, hello you. Thanks for joining us for our casual cultural critique of vintage television, where Britain's best love battle axe is never too far from our minds, because here, all roads are leading to the mountain. If you head over to PeggyMountPod.com, info and links for the episodes we're discussing today is in the show notes. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or maybe even suggest programmes you'd like us to cover. Before we grow our hair to shoulder length, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking? I flipped it on its head. I'm drinking white wine. Okay. And I'm drinking Muscadet de Sèvre et Main. I remember this from years ago. Right. And just the way... Just the, 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 the title of it, Muscadine. Is that a bottle from years ago, or one that Ken's brought out? No, 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 okay. no. This, this is a bottle that I remember He's probably had ago. it in the cupboard there, that's what I'm thinking. And warm as well, yes. probably, yeah. Um, but it's all right, this. Yeah, it's all right. What about you? Uh, I am on a twice as nice double IPA. Nice, nice. It's not one of them fruity IPAs, is it? <sighs> um, no, it's surprisingly sour. There's not a there's not a sort of tinge of apple in it or anything like that or there's not no if if I was in the mood for anything flavoured of apple I'm sure I would be the first to uh, to mention I would I would certainly let you know that's that's all good noted okay noted okay. right I'll, I, yes that's good all right yeah, I okay. mean I mean bear it in mind I'm, I'm not at the minute yep. I'm not saying it will never happen right but you don't need to ask it's fine that's good to know that's good to know I've made a note of that okay in me file of facts can I tell you. That in Chinese numerology, mm-hmm. the, the the number seventy three represents self determination right. and self sufficiency. Okay. Did you know that? I do know. You do now, yeah. Add to that self indulgence, and we'll go knocking on this door. Hey you, hey you, get ready, get on your feet, get into gear and hit the street. Hey you, get moving, it's not too far. You're looking good, come as you are. Hey you, you never know what you see when you're through that door with the seventy three. 
never seen nothing, no, not like this place Never been, no, no way, not ever, no, never seen no place, no way Similar, not like 73 Hey you, number 73 was the chaotic Saturday morning kids show from TVS Which ran on ITV from 1982 to 88 Spending its first two series as regional programming The show moved to national broadcasting in 1983 More like a sitcom and soap opera than its contemporaries The show still features activities and celebrity guests Centering around a house in Maidstone Which is owned by Ethel, played by Sandy Toxwig And also inhabited by Dawn Lodge and Harry Stern Andrea Arnold and Nick Davison, respectively, and Kim Goody and Neil Buchanan, who get to keep their own names for reasons which aren't altogether clear. <clears throat> We've dropped in on the episode Ding Dong from July 1985. Tennis-obsessed Ethel is about to get married, while the rest of the gang do their best to organise the day and corral a truly dazzling array of guests into place. As you know, I spend my life up to the eyelids, immersed in the past. Yeah, yeah. I'd never watched this. Really? Since back in the day. Oh, I thought you were going to say it all. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I, I did used to watch it. Okay, yeah. And I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. And I forgot how much I used to enjoy it. See, Ken, you said we were being too negative. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no, I did as well. Number 73 was one of those rare shows that I came to quite late around about 86 or 87, if I recall correctly. Okay. And yet, right. I didn't feel excluded from it. Usually I would in mm-hmm. that situation. But it's probably yeah, because yeah. I thought Harry was so fucking cool. And I think we've already right. established what my judgment was like when I was younger. So- well, <laughs> mine's along a similar line, because I too thought that uh, Harry was very, very cool. Um, I also thought Freddie from Grain Chill was cool as well. Uh-huh. Um yeah, so we're on the same lines there. Excellent. Um, all it takes is a blonde mullet and some shades, really, doesn't it? And you and I are swayed. But, yeah. No, um, no. I, 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 You've mentioned it. Let, let's go in this early, because this is in bold and underlined and in red in my notes. Go for it. The mullet work in this programme... It's outstanding. ...is fucking superb. You, Stavison, Buchanan, Bobby G... All of the band King. It is outstanding. Yeah. yeah. You can see yeah. why the band, the Redskins, are looking like they've been lured into a trap. <laughs> anyway, we'll get on to that. That's fine. That's all good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed the hair. There was so much to enjoy in this show. There really was. I did join this right from episode one back in the day. Okay. Uh, because cause being the kid that I was, obsessed with television, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. remember in the look-in, uh, they were talking about a new show, brand new show starts on Saturday, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, right, okay, I am sick to the back tits of Saturday Superstore. Let us have a look at this, or whatever its equivalent was at the time. I'm not sure if it was Superstore still going. I think it was, which would explain a line said by Jimmy Nail. Um, we we joined the show, and as you said earlier, it's like, not soap opera, but it's kind of like a sitcom. There's a narrative yeah. that runs from episode to episode. Yeah, and yet, and yet they still talk to camera throughout that. Yeah, you you know you yeah. it's very very inclusive. Very inclusive. What a cool house! Because you know a staple part of the Saturday morning TV show diet is a cartoon. Yes. What do they do? They take out a film projector in their kitchen <laughs> and put on a cartoon. Yep, it's all contextualized. Yeah. beautifully. There's a lot of thought gone into this. A lot of nice touches. I was a bit taken aback when Neil Buchanan's talking about his hangover at the beginning of the show. Now, you see, they're up and down on this. They, well, go, they, they go on about they're... how they're feeling delicate, 
And then mm, they- him and Stavison make a point of saying how they were only drinking orange juice. That's right. So they redeemed themselves that bit. So someone's highlighted that bit in the script and gone, y- you know this is still going out for kids, right? I mean, kids will know what you're talking about, but you can't really well, seem to make it too cool, can you? And they go, and, and look, they, at, uh, look at your hair, Harry. You, you're already very cool. Can you say that you haven't uh, been uh, drinking, please? Well, that's right. That's and then, right. Well, and then they're cracking out champagne and pouring it into orange juice. So, you know. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that, that's a lead-in to the, to the guests, though, isn't it? But, um, isn't it? When Neil Buchanan says, uh, we were out on the town last night, um, we're feeling a little bit rough, as you can imagine. And he's saying that to the kids, well, as you can imagine. Because yeah. you're all out sitting by, sitting around the community centre, drinking <laughs> hooch. You'll know what we're talking about, won't you? That's right, Neil. You address your target demographic. Oh, bless him. But, yeah, OK. So, um, first set of guests turn up for the wedding, for Ethel's wedding. It's five star. It is. Who does not? Who does not want five star at their wedding? What I love is that, well, before that point, um, Ethel's walked across and she's been playing tennis with Junior. Yes. For reasons which aren't explained. And then five right. star walk in for reasons yep. which aren't explained. They, yep. They're just there. They're just there. Also like the band King. I don't know. I honestly don't know if the recording we've watched was heavily, heavily edited and their performances have been taken out. But you're like, I love that you've got these bands on just to sit around. Yeah. I, I bet just literally. I, I, I bet their agents just rubbing his hands with glee going, yes, yes, you can certainly book them for that. We don't need the road crew. We just need them. Yes. Yeah. Five star go in the house and that's the last we see of them. Yes. <laughs> They'll join us as, as as an audience, but yeah. we don't interact with them at all. Yeah, amazing. We get a chat with we get a chat with others, but but not them. I just I just wonder why. Maybe that didn't go as well as they thought. Yeah. Um, one of the other housemates is Dawn, yeah. played by Andrea. Always on roller skates. Yep. Always on roller yep, skates. That's a nice little touch. Apparently, um, she's uh, she's a very successful film director now. She is indeed. Uh, yes. Then knock at the door, King. Uh huh. King of of love and pride fame and sprayed, well, spray painted Dr. Martin boots. With the most gorgeous hair. With the most gorgeous hair. You can see why Paul King, the lead singer of King, Mm. um, he was MTV's first ever VJ back in the 80s. VJ video jock. Yep, yep. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Not a patch on Paul Coyer, we have to say. Obviously, hashtag Paul on pop. All day long, Paul on pop. Uh... Now, I'm just getting to grips with this. We get calmed down a little bit because we have a lovely gentleman comes on um, who talks about sandcastles. This is... Beautifully. This is Shades of Runaround, which is also TVS, where, yeah, we just get this old block. He builds the most fantastic fucking sandcastles you've ever seen. Incredible. Mm. But he is allowed to talk about them for about 10 minutes, going through a literal photo album. They they haven't, like... They don't cut to you know, decently photographed copies of the photos. They just got the yep. studio lights glaring down onto this glossy photo album where you're, like, seeing something that he built five years ago. Fantastic. And then later on, everything stops while a posh man talks about Shire Horses for five minutes. Yes, yes, yes. I don't think it's five minutes because that, <laughs> that felt like half an hour. <laughs> it's Yeah, it, it's very much... I think that's the TVS ethos where they're like, can we just stop everything? And then have on a bit that kids aren't interested in. We've got pop stars in who aren't going to play. Let's talk about sandcastles. 
And let's bring in a shire horse, which clearly isn't real, because there's not one lump of shit on that floor during the time that they're talking. So I don't believe it was real. I think it was a puppet. But anyway. So I'm calmed down. I'm calmed down because we've got these little elements just to keep the... And then who walks in but Jimmy Nail? Uh What's what's happening? What's happening here now? I know, I know. Yeah, so who, who, who else can we get on? Jimmy Nail. Yep, there we go. Are we, are we getting the rest of the cast of Ralph Reader's Impair, a programme which isn't particularly suitable for our young audience? Nope, just Jimmy At Nail. All. He happened to be passing, so he's invited. That's it. Yep, and 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 he's in. We just get our heads around that in Walk Books Fizz. Of course. Amazing of work. Of course they do. Amazing work. Now, the Books Fizzes, yes. they're there for a proper interview. Well, well, they are. And can I just, just before you even get into this, uh-huh. Ken, get ready with that. Get ready with the clip, Ken. No, I love that. As we've said, the structure of like the scripted storyline week on week it works yep. really, really well for this show. It's like this controlled uh-huh. farce rattles along at yep. a lovely pace and then completely mm-hmm. falls down in the interview segments. Feels a lot more forced because Buchanan and Stern are talking all over each other and they don't allow Bucks Fizz to actually answer any of their awful cliched questions before they're on to the next one. I know this was live, but fucking still. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's got to be the most awkward conversation between the band members after a recently departed Jay Aston. But this is the thing, I'd completely forgotten about Jay Aston leaving Bucks Fizz. I'd also, yeah. to be fair, forgotten about them being in a coach crash. The two aren't connected, by the way. This isn't a Metallica situation. The fact that their interviewer just lunges straight into talking about both displays a yeah. staggering dearth of tact. And they try and ride it out. They're just like, well, yes, she's she, she's she's left. Can we say arsehole on air? We can't, can we? There we go. Go on, Cheryl. Go on. Do you know what, though? They don't need to because Mike says this. Mm. Yeah, does it seem strange that after all these years you've been working together as four, now working together as three for the record? Yeah, it's great. You like it? Doesn't make any difference, really. (laughs) You know, feelings made completely clear here. There's just... Yep, absolutely. Let's let's tell you, their agent's been like, tell you what, lads, Saturday morning, bang on the coach, down to Maidstone, actually probably not the coach, bang on the train, down to Maidstone, chance to air some of that dirty laundry. That'll be absolutely yeah. fine for you. I think that's what's, I think that's best. Yeah. And, you know, history repeating itself, bizarre twist of fate, Aston is now part of them, oh, yeah. and Bobby G doesn't talk to them now. There we go. I think there's about five different versions of the band, even though there's only four of them, but yeah. There are. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. We get ourselves composed... Knock at the door. Well, it's Matthew Kelly. Of course it is. Of course it's Matthew obviously, Kelly. Obviously, Why wouldn't it a, be? In a top hat and murderer's gloves because it's a wedding. Yes. Go on, Matthew. And again, he's he's in for a long chat about, you know, just what he's doing, push a couple of projects. Uh, well, yeah, and, and to display to the world just how tall he is. Yes. <laughs> is he on a box or are they in a hole? <laughs> Good grief. Not to skip God, not grief. to skip too far forward. I do love the shot in the closing minutes of the show where you see him dancing. The man has a fucking dervish. He is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So I thought, right, I need to lie down here because I can't cope. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but then I got myself excited when Buchanan pulls out a little bit of an art attack moment. Yeah. He, he knows what he's doing with that envelope and the card. All, all good, all good. Mm-hmm. Um we definitely need calming down. I know. Let's cut to some unknown band in the cellar. <laughs> now. So. Now, now, yes. now. Listener, mm-hmm. 
if it's still live, and I have to make that distinction because we're aware that sometimes things get pulled at the last minute from the proprietary streaming service where we send you through to click on. But if it's still live, watch this episode, watch this band. You've probably heard of them. I hadn't. I've since looked them up. They were relatively successful. They had a lot of singles out, put out, you know, an album and da-da-da-da-da. But I'm telling you now, if I walked into a pub and the Redskins were at the bar, I'd probably turn right around and walk back out again. I'd never heard of them. I'd never heard of them. And I was pretty on it in the, terms of the popular music back the, in the day. The Fred Perry shirts and the Harrington jackets, that's not a look that made me relaxed in the mid-80s. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. At that point, that. it had been adopted by people that I did not like. Who who in the booking department has gone, so we've got Five Star, yes. We've got Books Fizz, yes. We've got King, yes. Why don't we get a bunch of skinheads in to play a song? I think it's someone from accounts who said that because they just haven't got the budget. Okay, okay. So, uh I mean, yeah, even, but- even Jimmy Neal would have cracked out his mouth organ. Pretty much. I um I was amazed that they were playing they were playing live uh-huh. because don't tell me that sound is what came out on vinyl <laughs> that was good lord you're gonna did you're gonna make us the, enemies if you slag them off that's all I'm saying did, did someone forget the tape no it, do you know what the actual song itself wasn't bad it's just the acoustics were horrendous okay um I mean if it had been in a cellar it would have sounded better well, not just the set of a cellar yes yeah but yeah. Um, anyway, we got time to recover from that as we visit an episode of The Three Musketeers. Yeah, I thought it fell down a bit here. So did I. It no, was too long. Yeah, this, this is just it. It's too long. It's like a sort of a an ongoing serial they've got that they've made themselves. Because at first I'm thinking, what, are they cutting to like a cartoon or something? No, no, no. They, right. They've kind of made That's this film themselves. And it's basically made with like three or four cast members who play about three or four parts each. That's really nicely done. Yep. Absolutely Agreed. packed Talk with things great. Packed with puns. They're doing that really yep. well. And it yeah, it just goes on for about three times longer than it should. Quick question. Is the the running joke they've got with the gnomes being brought as wedding presents? Mm. Was that a thing throughout the series or was it just for this particular episode? Can't remember. Neither can I. Ah, now, I no. pr- prefer it if it was I just think... for this episode, because it's absolutely not explained. No, I think it's a thing. I'm sure in earlier series that there was something to do with gnomes, that there was one outside. I'm sure. I'm ah, sure. okay, okay. That Ethel collected them kind of thing. Fair yeah, enough. I'm sure that was... Oh, you just brought that back to me right at this very moment. Cool. Wonderful, wonderful. Anyway, um, sticking with tradition of a Saturday morning, we have a competition, and you could win... The Visitor's Book. Yes, a book that all the special guests sign and autograph when they come and visit number 73. You can win that. That's nice. You can win that. That is very, very nice. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, Gone are the days when you used to get the whole address read out on television, mind? Well, Uh, yes. (laughs) Yes. I mean, mean, that that book is somewhere now, isn't it? I would imagine a collector's got it by this point. I would think so. They probably oh, bought it in yeah. an auction at some point. I'm not saying that I'm going to track it down or buy it, but someone is there sitting on that book on a on a stormy night. They'll mm-hmm. leaf through it with a glass of scotch mm-hmm. by their side, and they'll be thinking, who the fuck are the Redskins? To be fair, the Redskins were almost as popular as Kelly's Eye. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had forgotten all about it until Matthew Kelly reminded me of it. <laughs> yeah. The one good thing to come out of that interview where he's plugging Kelly's eye mm-hmm. is the fact that 
he announces he went to Sue Pollard's blessing. Get in. Go on, Matthew. I mean, yeah, this is, you know, this is what we're here for on a Saturday morning. This is what you want. It absolutely is. I was very surprised she didn't come kicking her way through the door immediately afterwards, but there we have it. She She wouldn't have had a chance because in bursts Ethel... With the most 80s wedding dress I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. I remember going to a wedding in the 80s when I was a kid and the bride was wearing that. Yep. I'm telling you. Wow. Now, that wedding dress aside, it, it everything, everything. If there were any problems in this show, they redeemed themselves with this one segment, which I was obsessed with when I used to watch this as a kid. Are you talking about the legendary sandwich quiz? Cue the clip, Ken. That is the most fucking fun she has in that entire show, I've got to say. (laughs) She's superb at it. (laughs) Yeah, she is. She's just... Ah... I, I always wanted to play that game as a kid. I wanted to host it as a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just what a fabulous piece of television. Wonderfully chaotic. Yep. The ad-libs are flying left, right and centre. Yep. They're all just having a laugh. Absolutely. One word to Cheryl Baker, however. Uh, Mrs Thatcher is not a newscaster. Just might want to bear that in mind in case you're ever on another quiz show, Cheryl. Yeah, I thought for a minute that someone had let Janet Brown on to do impressions. Yeah. Yeah, but then I realised it actually sounded like Thatcher. Oh, right, but, OK. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, but the sandwich quiz, legendary, legendary. Um, everyone's just having a good a good time, <laughs> which actually brings me to my complete summary of number 73. To me, the overall feeling of this, the entire show... You get the idea that this has been made by a bunch of second-year university students, right? Who are who are having a great time, uh-huh. and and who are loving it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it shows. It's ah, br- bring this format back, somebody please, because it, this was tremendous. This is teenagers having a laugh, yeah. a little bit irreverent, pushing the envelope a little bit. Format-wise, it is very different. It, it's it's not starchy I feel relaxed here yeah, I literally yeah. do feel like they've said come on in mm-hmm. have a glass of pop sit down and have a chat with Dolores from Five Star yep. I feel like I'm doing it they nailed this and ITV until SMTV came along I always in my head I had it in my mind ITV were not good at Saturday mornings they cracked it with Tiswas there'd been a number of failures after that yeah and then 73 came along and kicked the arse off the BBC. Fair play. Pegs on the line, sir. 73. <laughs> Out of nine, though? Nine. Okay, really? Okay. It's top, this. It's top. It is good. Yeah. Thoroughly um, enjoyed it. Yourself? I don't think the chaotic nature of the production is entirely as intentional as they would like you to believe here. But I would happily watch this every week again. Seven out of nine from me. But, 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 but... Yes? Going hand in hand with our good dame, how many steps would it take you to yodel to the top of the mountain? Well, I can do this in 73 minus 71. 
Don't make me do maths. So this edition of Number 73 stars Sir Matthew Kellington, who appeared co-eponymously in Gabrielle and the Doodleman, next to Eric Sykes, who was in 1965's One-Way Pendulum, with... Peggy Bob. Oh, that's a trouble with these places. You come in as fit as a fiddle and you go out smothered in germ. Lovely. Very efficient. Right. And your good self, sir. I can also do it in two. Oh, aha. Uh-huh. Copying. <laughs> Yes, this edition of number 73 stars Sir James Nails, who appeared in the Carla episode of Minder alongside Christopher Benjamin, who was in the Monsoon Man thread of The Tomorrow People with Peggy Mount. That woman can't be next. She's only been here five minutes. Nice, nice. Big up to the TPs. Lovely. And the homo superiors. Absolutely, yeah. And speaking of James Nail Esquire, I might just put on my crocodile shoes and get myself away down to the shops. You're going to join us. good money for saucepans i expect them to last wouldn't you now prestige lifetime is guaranteed to last 10 years and that means thousands of hours on your cooker but a lot of time in the washing up that's why only prestige lifetime have thicker stainless steel bodies solid copper bottoms and real tea candles excuse me you can put the dinner on i'll be home in 20 minutes for looks that last it's lifetime only from prestige Everybody seems to fly in, fly out. Everybody's body needs a ball stop. Flying through the air time. Work out, try out. Everybody's body needs a ball stop. Biscuit from your mum's time. Burger in a bun time. Rumbles in the tum time. Take a ball stop. Nip out in the evening. All you want a sandwich. Talking body language. Take a ball stop. Rushing out, sitting down, life is taxing. Everybody's body needs a ball stop. Ask any cow what's most relaxing. Everybody's body needs what a body needs. Everybody's body needs. Lots of lovely things there. Of course, go out and purchase the artefacts. No, um, no adverts for apples there. I notice. Never mind. None. Not. Would you? Would it have made you want an apple if you'd seen one? Well, I'm quite suggestible, but I haven't seen one, yeah. so that's that, no. It's fine. It's all good. So you're all right. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. no. Oh, there it is again. There it is again. Facsimile. Yep. Facsimile. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. Well, don't be honest. The paper won't come out. Here we are. It is... Mm. Oh, it's another one for both of us. Oh. Here we go. Dear Mountlings, are there any more plans for live shows from you? 
I was looking forward to your gig in Moira's Jazz Rooms in Middlesbrough until it was cancelled at the 11th hour with, frankly, inadequate explanation. I'd paid for a cat sitter and everything. I won't be seeing that pound again. Yours, Dalton Percy in Hartlepool. Well, thanks for writing in, Dalton. Um, Unfortunately not. The issue with Middlesbrough was down to an item on the rider from producer Ken, namely his eggs. It wasn't the quantity that was the problem, but the way he demanded that they be cooked. That was seen as a fire hazard. When the venue couldn't accommodate that, it was Ken who pulled the plug. So as our producer is unlikely to budge on his favourite issue here, it looks like we'll be unlikely to find a venue blase enough to host us again. But, you know, if we do, we'll let you know. I can't say fairer than that. Um, you know, it's it's all about behaviour. It's all about respect. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, I, if I remember rightly, backstage... Um, there was plenty of uh, argy-bargy going on. There was stop it, cease it, and at one point, cool it. Cool It was the stand-up and impression show from comedian Phil Cool, running on BBC Two from 1985 through to 1990. In a stripped-down live environment, Philip had run through a series of topical and observational routines, segwaying into impersonations and facial contortions for each, with little to aid him except the lighting crew and his own stage presence. We've dropped into the very first episode from August 1985, where Phil's targets wryly include E.T., Mr Kipling, The Pope, Robin Day, Roy Hattersley, Arthur Scargill, David Bellamy, and all the other names that the kids were into back then. I went to see him live Did in you? 1989. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. I took my girlfriend at the time, right? And uh, we went to uh, yeah, we went to see him and uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. What I saw on stage was pretty much what you saw on screen. Yeah, I used to really enjoy watching the show. Mm-hmm. He's got a way of fleshing out his jokes, but without over-explaining them too much. It's very yep. accessible and easy going, and I can see why this worked at the time. Yes. Now. Okay, on a negative point, he he always sweated profusely, and that put me off. Right. I I don't like to see any artist sweat on stage, um, but wow, he he's, <laughs> he's like a lagoon. Um, yeah, that that kind of got me nervous a little bit. But anyway, that's just a little tiny minor point. <laughs> um, positively, thing is with Phil Cool, he was a brilliant departure. In terms of his repertoire, he wasn't doing the standard portfolio of your Bruce Forsyths and your... That's very true. He does sort of fall into that Yarwood trap, I find, of doing fairly decent impressions, but of politicians and personalities whose voice you won't be able to recall even by the time the decade's over. Right. So because of that, I don't think it's aged particularly well. Case in point, who the fuck is Sir Keith Joseph? Yeah, well, I remember, I'm sure he was Education Secretary at the time, now, if I remember rightly. Phil's just come off the back of doing some spitting image shows here, and the BBC mm-hmm. are clearly very keen for some of that demographic. As I said, it's it's vaguely topical, he can bring that in. He's not just doing people that you've heard of in the 70s. Well, he is a bit. Yeah. But, well, yeah, you know, what used to bug me more is that every time you'd see a listing or an article referring to him, it would invariably start with the phrase, the rubber-faced comedian Phil Cool. That got on my nerves as well. And I'd be like, come on, he pulls a few faces in the course of his act, right? But that's not his defining characteristic, now is it? Anyway, watching this now, yes it is. 
<laughs> yeah. Imagine... He, he, he does an awful lot of it. Yeah, he does. Some of it, he does really well. He does contort his face into certain ways, and I think... It's the first yeah, thing right, he does clever. before he says a word. But yes. <laughs> yes, yes. It's his, it's his shtick, though, isn't it? It's that's, Oh, no, yeah, that's, absolutely. Yes, that's what the opening titles are. I get it. Um, he sort of falls into, the, again, that kind of Rory Bremner trap of he'll set mm. up a paper-thin gag, and then he'll go... But I wonder, I uh, I wonder what a man with a scrunched up face would make of it all. Then he turns around, turns back. Oh, look, Barbara, he's doing the face thing again. That, 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 that's my favourite, that, the face. It's funny yeah. because it's true. Yeah. Dear Lord. Yeah. Mm, I know, I know. His delivery. All right. This is not a dynamic performance. What we're getting is, it's a very, I suppose, intimate performance. Yeah. And it's a slow delivery when he's talking about stuff. And get on with it, Phil. Get on with it. <laughs> How much of that do you think is pattern for time? Well, it's I mean, be, you know, I'm not wanting to be too snarky about it because Jasper Carrot is the exec producer of this and mm-hmm. it shows he's basically made, get a very stripped down version of his own programme. Yeah, 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 yeah. My memory was that cool it would cut out to sketches maybe other items and it doesn't it's just him on stage for half an hour with these huge clunking gaps between his very short routines mm-hmm. you're right yeah there were always just this no, there was never any sketches if he'd been no. a guest on someone else's show with a five minute slot that would be absolutely fine but ultimately I've I got to say you know he's, he's taken the blame at the end his name's on the screen there Phil Cool has written all of this and I do think that his material is just not strong enough for an uninterrupted half hour. So if they'd paid for additional writers, converted a few of these to sketch format, this would be a lot more satisfying to watch. It needed a little bit something, yeah. The, uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. The, 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 again, the slow delivery. Don't get us wrong. It's a reflective, pensive delivery, which has taken us on a journey into the absurd, which is great. Yeah, yeah. But, but but get us there. Get us there. Can, can we get the bus rather than walk, please? <laughs> the closest he comes to doing an entire sketch is his Rolf Harris routine, and that is fucking good. I will hand him that. Yeah, he, that was one of the impressions he was really known for because I don't he, think many had done Rolf prior or they hadn't done Rolf as well. But again, he managed to sort of segue the Pope into that bit as well, so he's not just like doing his voice, that is the joke. Of mm-hmm. he's got some props for that, mm-hmm. you know the the guy up in the in the lighting booth. He manages to do his thing. It's, that's a that's a good sort of three to four minutes. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's three to four minutes, mate. That's what you do mm-hmm. when Jimmy Tarbuck has introduced you on his show, and then you go off again, and that's it. Thanks very much, Phil. Off you go. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah no. But we're not getting we're not getting sketches. We're getting stories, though. Kinda can be argued. Ish. <laughs> short, um, short stories. N- short stories. <laughs> I mean, nothing's as long as the question time sketch. Yeah. I mean that. Okay. I had a feeling if you if you didn't have the production manager in front of him, what doing the old winding arm trick that could have gone on for ninety minutes. Yeah, again, that's basically Yarwood territory now, isn't it? Well, yeah, in terms of that, yeah. But we did have something. I wasn't convinced by the Roy Hattersley impression at all. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That. Oh, yeah, again, I, thought- I can't remember what Roy Hatsley's voice sounds like. I remember him being on Spit and Image, who I'm assuming his voice is done by Phil Cool. Um, no. 
totally different. Totally oh, okay. different. Um, because he, uh, I only remember the spitting image voice of Hattersley, but it was he had that speech impediment where he said the V instead of an R, right. and. Uh, yeah, and because they had the prop in the puppet, didn't they? Where he used to spit when he talked, and the water spit. But that was the thing: it, once spitting images are doing that, it doesn't really matter what the voice is doing. No, really. that's true. You know, yeah. it's only got to sound exaggerated to match the puppet. After that, it doesn't have to be an accurate impersonation. Yeah, yeah. So. absolutely, absolutely. So on to, um, I mean, he didn't do it in this particular show, but one a laugh out loud, a genuine laugh out loud moment I, I, I had with him. Phil Cool was his impression of Larry Hagman, JR from Dallas. He did a cracking impersonation of him back in the day. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, that wasn't on this. But he did do the man behind the Mr. Kipling adverts, which I thought was a nice touch. Very different. He didn't do it well, but he did a nod to him. But that punchline of, um, yeah, I've made some nods. Ken, can we drop a clip of that in? Can you see these jump darts on your screen? Well, they've been magnified 500 times. <laughs> yes, Mr. Gribbling makes exceedingly small cakes. So it gets a laugh, but I suppose it depends on how large your television is, because it's not really the case, is it, Phil? Small cakes. I mean, they've never been famous for being the biggest, but then they've never claimed to be. You could criticise Mr Kipling's produce for being a full delicacy which is mass-produced with no real artisan craftsmanship at the point of purchase, or for relying largely on sugar at the expense of other more nuanced flavours, but exactly how big are you expecting a French fancy to be, Phil? Jam tarts from that company are almost exactly the same size as other normal jam tarts, branded or otherwise. It could well be that the industry standard has conformed to smaller dimensions set by the Kipling company over the years, but a lot of that's going to be cost-saving measures as well. Products either get smaller or they get more expensive. That's how inflation works. Things appeared bigger when you were a child because your hands were smaller, Phil. Your nostalgic entitlement is not the same as comedy. Small cakes. And yet you present the size of them like it's a thing. One of those wry facts of modern life which everyone has subconsciously acknowledged, but you've been the only one with the wit and the verb to verbalise. On stage. For money. Now, you could be making a point about the ratio of the contents to the size of their packaging, of course, which, again, isn't really a thing that Ian Kipling has spearheaded. There's a constant tug-of-war between minimising packaging and therefore storage and transport costs against producing a final product which would be big enough on the shelf to attract attention over its rivals. That's just how retail works. Smaller boxes get ignored by buyers, plus they're easier to shoplift. Do you think that's what the Kipling family would want, given the option? Do you think that in the 1980s, the gold-plated benchmark of naked consumerism, the board of directors at Kipling's sat around and went, No, Brenda, we need to make our products look inferior next to Lions. Make them boxes smaller. Because I ruddy don't fill. But no, off you go with demonstrably false observational stand-up to wring some easy laughs out of the plebs who've come to see you. Aha! It's funny because it's true, Barbara! Probably. I've heard of those cakes, and that is the point of familiarity through which this humour is arising, rather than the more traditional route of subversion of my expectations. Ha 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 Oh, well done, Phil. Well done. Because your brief and poorly thought-out routine on pre-packaged confectionery in the mid-1980s is pouring petrol under the kindling trash fire that will go on to be Michael McIntyre. And this is in turn, ignites a thousand smaller infernos as six-minute live at the Apollo sets full of, Hey, have you noticed that all dogs are blue now? What's that about? But at least you pulled a funny face while you said it, Phil. At least you got three full series plus spin-offs besides off the back of this. Well done, Philip Cools. Well done, small cakes. (laughs) 
blackouts on one. Ken, his dander's up. His dander's up. I mean, if I'm honest, um, I was more perturbed at the fact that he didn't mention that the Kipling voice is that of James Hater, who once played Mr. Tebbs, one of the many replacements ah. for Mr. Granger in Are You Being Served? I would have okay. expected that sort of detail from Phil Cool, but there we are. There we are. But, um, yes. Still, this was cheap as fuck to make. You can see why the BBC were happy with it. Oh, clapping all the way to the bank, without a doubt. We get to the end of the, um, and this is kind of what surprised me, we get to the end of the question time sketch. Cue credits. Boom. Yep. That's it. You, yep. That's your last. Yeah, it, that last leg really drags out. <laughs> there we go. It, it, it did, to be fair. Not the strongest start, I would suggest, for the first episode of a brand new programme. But you don't want to go in heavy with the with the big guns. I understand that, but I still think this is a little bit like wading through treacle for a first episode. As you've already noted, though, when your competition up till this point has been Yarwood and Little and Large, I think this shakes things up enough that it would have felt fresh. Even though, as you say, yeah, there's still clearly work to be done, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. So, how many pegs at the end of it all? Would you put on the line? Well, it's not as great as I remember it, but I dare say if I watched a few more episodes, I'd probably get back into it. Right. Um, but because I paid 20 quid for a ticket to go and see him, uh, I'm going to say, in to reinforce my good judgment, six. Okay. Your good self? Um, for me, four out of nine. But I'm scrunching up my face as I say that, so that's the same as giving it six, yeah? Yeah, fair enough. More to the point, if you were to adopt a strange accent mm-hmm. from a person from, of a personality, don't know who it would be. Who I've would already, I've already got a strange northern accent. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, that'll do that. Uh, how many steps up the montagna is it going to take you? I can do it in two rubbery contorted steps. <laughs> is fronted, of course, by Phil Cool, who also appeared in 1984's The Secret of Plankton Lodge next to Anna Dawson, who was on a panel in Blankety Blank in 1979 with Peggy Mount. Oh, don't say that, please. I'll never get her away from him. She's been in there half an hour already. Brilliant. Brilliant. Anna Dawson. Great days. Great days. Anna Dawson. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Agreed. What about yourself, my good man? Also in two... Indeed, the only person in front of a camera here is Phil Cool, a regular performer on the original run of Spit in Image. Next to Jessica Martin, who played Mags in Doctor Who's Greatest Show in the Galaxy with Peggy Mound. Date this morning. She came flying into my room, beat me awake and told me her heart had stopped. Fantastic. There you go. That's what there we want. Go. Lovely, lovely. It really is. It, it really is. Um, wow. So, Phil was doing it. Now we're going to do it. We're going to cool it and we're going to wrap up the show. Blackout's got your socials. Yes, thanks once again for being here. 
If you want to shower us with praise, we are on Twitter at PeggyManPod and we are the PeggyMount Calamity Hour on Facebook. For sensible questions and longer messages, you can email PeggyManPod at gmail.com and don't forget to go to PeggyManPod.com to check out the show notes for this episode and the links if they're still live. It's as simple as that. And also, if anyone's got any recipes for dishes that uh, use apples, um, do send them through between now and the next episode. Yeah, please do. They're in the corner. They're starting to go off. Okay. Until the next time, remember to keep pegging. The Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast from Michael Media, which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments and television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. Peggy Mount Pod.com.